This episode is brought to you by Indie Insights, our bi-weekly newsletter and love note to independent film. Inside, you'll find tools, tips, and tricks vetted by industry professionals, independent films that will inspire your creativity, filmmaking events where you can rub elbows with filmmakers just like you, and so much more. The best part of it all, it's absolutely free. All you have to do is go to www.banzai.film forward slash subscribe. And within a few clicks, you'll be part of our newsletter community. Again, that's www.banzai.film forward slash subscribe to get Indie Insights, a free bi-weekly newsletter from Chris and Nick at Bonsai Creative. You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It podcast co-host, Nicholas Bugs. Hello, hello, Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and this is an Indie Talk Week, and that means I have my good friend and co-founder of the Make It Podcast with me, Nicholas Bugs. Nick, say hello. Hello, and I just have to say this feels like Groundhog Day all over again. (laughs) (laughs) I got a question. Is that like, am Am I I saying the same thing? I know, but if you say say Groundhog Day all over again, is that just saying Mm. the same thing twice? Oh, it's very meta. Mm. Yeah, yeah but very, we all do it, meta. don't we? It's Groundhog Day all over again. I mean, come on. It's just Groundhog Day. Why are we so stupid? <laughs> uh, you can include your, keep yourself with that, bro. I'm like, <laughs> like that's, that's, that's not a moniker I am willing to place on myself, nor anyone else in this room. So, I mean, well, denial on. is a river. But like the, the thing is, <laughs> the thing is, is, we have a whole society of deep. people that believe in this groundhog that's going to tell yeah. them something about their lives and are about the weather. Hey, isn't that everything Phil, that man. we're looking for as humans? Yes. Oh, yes. God, we, Francis, exactly. Look at you t- touching oh, yeah, on the philosophy. Meta. That's and we're right. not talking about like, Facebook. Yeah. 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 <laughs> there, there's going to be a time in the future, by the way. That evil Zuck is going to make sure that we can't use the word meta the way we've been using it our whole lives because it'll be trademarked. Mm. It's going to be right. that's the word's <laughs> going to belong to him. Google's going to own the word alphabet. Like we're we're just going to be stuck. Hmm. Elon's going to own the letter X. <laughs> right. We're not going to be able to like say or use X and stuff Damn. without a cease and desist letter. I mean, we're these interesting times coming up. And meanwhile, we're looking to the groundhog. <laughs> we we gives, look to the groundhog for wisdom. It gives you promise. It gives you something greater than yourself to believe in. What's wrong with that? Francis, again, do, I don't know if the groundhog is greater than myself. So That is true. Now, Nick, I know you have a very large yard and backyard. 
Francis, do you, do you live in a city or do you have like a yard? We have a yard. Yeah. We have a backyard, a front yard. We got, we got yards. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I know that you're from North Carolina and you, um, you know, you've probably seen your fair share of animals. Do you guys know what a vole is? So not a mole, but a vole, a V-O-L-E. I have never heard of that. Do you guys know what that is? Before heard ever. Of that? No. Mm. See, that's crazy because a vole exists and it's an evil mole. So you know how there's Mario and then there's Wario? The vole, I can't, bro. The vole is Wario and and they destroy your yard. And oh my God. every time I think about a vole, I think about that's all that's that's as close as I get to looking to the groundhog. It's like okay. just another burring animal that destroys all your hard work in the yard on the spring and the summer. This ain't Caddyshack, yeah. bro. So my dad is yeah. at war yeah. with this vole creature. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Same. I'll I'll up. No, a vole or a mole. A vole. I'm just here. To, I'm just here to let you know. Like I got no. I'm not looking for the wisdom. I, I'm looking for him to pop his head up. And you're gonna be like, like pop, <laughs> I pop that, pop that bitch off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyhow, well, man. Yeah, good on, we man. Should, we, we should. We, we just do, do your thing, because you know we we're over here talking to Francis, like everybody knows. Yeah. Like you know, all of a sudden uh-huh. in indie talk, we got somebody coming to hang out with us today, and they should know who she is because she has been on the podcast before. But mm-hmm. you know, go ahead. We can. We got to do the intro. Episode three hundred eight. Back in October twenty two. Love the conversation. We had so much in common. We talked, I ended up having to edit out a bunch of it and it was still like almost two hours because we had just so much fun. We was like, we was so relatable and she's so talented. So we decided to bring her back for a hang. Francis Hernandez, welcome to the uh, Make It podcast Thank and the you. Indie Talk once again. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Maybe you can give the people uh, a sense of uh, who you are again, those who didn't get to listen to our, our initial conversation. Amazing. Yeah. So hi, everybody. I'm Francis. I'm a production designer and art director in the film industry. Um, was super excited to talk to you last time. I also like re-listened to our podcast and couldn't get enough of it. It was just such a fun conversation, Nick. And well, Chris, and this is my first time talking with you, Nick, but I'm sure we'll kick it just as uh, fun as I got a chance to talk to you guys before. But um, yeah, I... Uh, Recently, I have two shows that are coming out, um, one of which is Ahsoka. It's a um, Disney Plus TV series that's coming out in August. And then I have another film coming out in November, Next Goal Wins, uh, which is a Taika Waititi film. And that's what I've been up to since we last spoke. Very sweet. Very awesome. <laughs> it sounds like quite a bit. Yeah. I am... Um... I, f- I find that uh, Tycho is like uh, this easygoing genius. I love Jojo Rabbit. It's one of the few movies that exists that can make you cry and laugh in the same movie. Yes. And I, even though it did get its propers, even though it did get like the awards and all that stuff, I still feel like it was underrated. I still feel like I can talk to everyday people and they don't know what I'm talking about. They don't know the movie. And that's a shame. Yeah. I, anybody that uh, gets an opportunity 
go check that movie out. Um, it's, it's done in a different way. He has a different style. So I'm excited to see what you did with it from an art direction standpoint. And Nick, I know you're pumped about that Disney plus series. Um, Ashoka yeah. coming out, right? Like, no, that's, yeah, that's right in your I wheelhouse. Mean, well, the Big thing Star is, Wars Francis Jack. is downplaying the whole thing. And I, I love it, you know, because, <laughs> yeah, well, you're, you know, and you, and you, you're very modest, you know, oh, it's going to, it's a Disney plus thing. There's some little thing I'm working on. I'm like, this is legit. This is not just Disney Plus. It's Star Wars. You know, like this is Ahsoka. This is a major character, you know, in in that universe. Yeah. And it's pretty awesome that you get the opportunity to to do this. It's it's no joke. Can I just hop in real quick and just ask you, Nick, because I, I just want to play the role of like the dumb. I don't have to play this role, but the but the but the dumb, uninformed Star Wars person or just like the common person out there, like who is this character? And and like, can you tell us a little bit about, cause I don't know anything about it. I'll be honest. I don't know anything about this character. I'm not a star Wars guy, uh, at all. So, um, hook me up and hook the audience up that isn't sure. That's for you, Nick, by the way, if you know it. No, I'm going to drop that to Francis. Oh, okay. Francis, so she's working on, Let's so go. I want Francis yeah. to drop that on us. Okay. Oh, nah. well, yeah. Yeah. Nick I first. mean, I will say I am also a huge Star Wars fan. Like when I got the call, this was a dream come true. Like if there were two things I ever, I love fantasy and sci-fi. So Harry Potter, Star Wars, like count me in. I will sweep the floor. Like I just wanted to be in the same space and the, as to see these creatives put together something <laughs> this special. So I, um, I, not to downplay it, but I am a huge fan and to work on it was absolutely a dream come true. But um, specifically this show, I actually um, am drawn to what this story is about. It's one of my favorite characters. Ahsoka is one of the few female Jedis um, that we saw in the original Star Wars times before these new shows and movies have came out. We didn't see that female empowerment lead as a Jedi and... Uh, Rosie O'Dawson just brought this character to life uh, physically. And we've seen Ahsoka in Clone Wars. We've seen Ahsoka in Rebels. Those are both animated shows that if you've never seen them, really fun to watch. It's an amazing storyline that takes place kind of in the history of Star Wars um, before kind of when Anakin um, was at his peak and that whole time of like his growth before he turns into the evil villain. So, which to me is one of the most interesting, interesting characters in the Star Wars universe. So to follow him and then to watch his Padawan, who is Ahsoka, not a lot of people know that, but um, her Jedi trainer was uh, Darth Vader. So it's like, what is this relationship and how does she make it her own and find her own identity in this world of chaos, which, you know, any of us females can relate to in a male dominated world. How do we find our own way? And that's what's so special about this show is we have a lot of like female empowerment leads. So to be a part of it was uh, something truly remarkable. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Uh, that helps me out a lot. It, it gets me interested <laughs> in it because at least I know who Darth Vader is. I think one of the things that keeps me from getting into Star Wars as much as Nick does and some of our other buddies do and, and most people do, honestly, it's just that I'm so far behind. There's so many details. I think it's the same thing that's happened with like the Marvel movies. Mm. I think what's happened there is they've done so many films that it, it's no longer accessible by people who haven't followed it since Iron Man came out. And yeah. there are certain films that I think 
could be. Like I thought the Black Panther was accessible, whether you'd seen it from the beginning or, or not. I thought that Endgame was accessible for the most part because it had a had sort of a deep line of philosophy on there where you could sort of follow the track of, of the conundrum uh, that everybody was in without having to know the inside baseball and everything. But outside of that, the new Marvel movies, every one of them, uh, I, I'll be sitting beside a bunch of kids in the theater and they'll be laughing or they'll be geeking out and I'll be like, what just happened? And it's something I have no <laughs> idea about. Like they noticed a, a line or they saw a character or yeah. it just gets crazy. And every one of the Marvel films has a scene after the credits you have to wait, wait for. And they're like increasingly more and more opaque. Like it's like yeah. super blurry, super confusing. Like, like, what is this? They have to cliffhang you, but it doesn't feel like a cliffhanger because you don't know what it's about anyway. I thought Ant-Man was definitely guilty of that. The latest Ant-Man is like that bonus scene was straight pointless to me i'm not gonna call it garbage but i'm gonna say it was pointless for me like it didn't do anything for me it's not gonna make me go watch the next thing whatsoever bro let me look at look at me real quick because i know the people can't see me but they're gonna know what i'm talking about i'm this emoji at the end of (laughs) (laughs) ant-man right hands up to the side no clue like what was that and i'm mad i waited through all these credits to watch that. So, so you're, I'm so with you're with you me. So, so you're with me on that, Nick. Yeah, 100%. Can you tell me what that bonus scene was about? I have no clue. No. And my son was looking at it the same way. Like, what was that, Dad? I'm like, I don't know, man. Maybe they're just having fun with this at this point. Maybe they were like, they finished the movie. They did everything. They're like, oh, crap. We're supposed to have a bonus scene. What yeah. can we do? <laughs> so, yeah, that's where I was with that. I know that, Francis, you got lucky with the timing. I mean, timing is so much plays such an important role in terms of just anyone's success and anything that they do. But you got these sort of really huge, awesome jobs, you know, Spider-Man, uh, No Way Home, that's p- particular one, sorry. Uh, Next Goal Wins, House Party, Ashoka. You got these right before this strike. Mm. And, and they're all going to come out. But I wonder with the Disney Plus situation and, and sort of how it feels like we've picked Bob Iger to be the face of the evil executive through this strike, you know, how is that going to, you think, affect the rollout uh, of the show, if, if at all? That's a really interesting question. Um, you know, part of me is also super interested in the amount of not coverage it's getting, like purposefully. Like if you think about it, New York Times, like there's not a lot of people talking about it. So in middle America, do they even know that we're on strike right now? I don't know. Um, I haven't read anything on like, you know, if you're looking at podcasts or the daily or any of these, like the New York Times, I just don't see any coverage of it. And I think that could be a political move on the studio's part and their relationship with the media. Like all I see, even on Hollywood Reporter, they're talking about movies that are going to come out or movies that are going to start in production. And I'm like, but no one's talking about the actual strike. So part of me is like, it's kind of... um, a cover-up in a sense, but I'm like, I, I think that they're trying to not lose that momentum or people who do watch, you know, still are plugging into series and watching shows. It's like, they don't want to lose that momentum, even though we are currently not able to promote or to make anything right now. Um, so I, I would hope that, uh, you know, for me, it's like, I, I want to keep making things for people to enjoy whether or not, 
you know, to me, it's never about the money. Obviously, we want to get paid. Um, I do what I do for the love of it. And I just want people to enjoy it. So I just hope that we can all get to a place where we can do both. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I've heard some of the talking points on both sides. And it, it feels like neither side is deeply and maybe intentionally not appreciating the value of the other. Yeah. Um, I'm saying this from the perspective of someone who is a creative, but also an executive producer and has invested in films and um, has produced films. There seems to be, and this is backed up by some things I even heard John August say recently, who you know wrote Big Fish and and wrote the latest Aladdin, the one with Will Smith in, mm -hmm. and a bunch of other stuff. Um, where he seemed to just be sort of dismissive of the importance of, of money uh, in, in filmmaking. And you know, I did like his overall point. His overall point was we all need to win in the process of filmmaking. So I was yes. absolutely in love with that point, but to get there, he was, he was a little fired up about just the fact that, you know, money is fungible and, and it, there's actually less risk for these executives and studios providing funding than there is to be the creative. And I think that's the part that's up for debate because I, it feels like what he's saying is, Hey, uh, the AMPTP and these executive studios networks, they don't have, they, they don't have respect for what we do. And they don't think that we're taking any large risk by being a writer or by being an actor or even by being an art director. So I, I don't know where, where do you stand on 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 this sort of chasm that's super interesting i mean we've been making movies for a while now right we've been and studios have done that so it's hard to think that like bob Iger, who has been working for disney forever has forgotten that netflix on the other hand that's a different story you know when tech comes into this space they think they can do it differently and that's where i think there's a bit of the lag is like we we have been doing this for years we know how to make creative things from every department, from every facet of the industry. So it's interesting, this world where tech collides with these studios and how they're also buying up these studios and now running the studios. So even though it's Disney and Bob Iger, it's like, are, are they, you know, it's, is it being ran more like a tech company now, more so than a, than a Hollywood studio, which is what we've been doing for years. So I feel like this respect had used to been there, but now with, with streaming and everything, it's just become kind of a mix. Um, I think the importance of quality work is important, like having uh, AI get involved in these whole battles for that. If it, if it continues down that path, sure, like you'll get more like, I, I like to think of AI as clip art is how it's going to become, especially for artists. Like the more people use it, the more mm. it's just going to create generic work and there won't be anything that's unique to it. And that's fine. That's going to be a product of its own. Right. But I think to get quality work and unique work and to tell human stories, we need humans. So <laughs> it's like, that's something that is just, what do people want to watch? And I like to think that people still want to, that's the most important thing with whether it's series TV and single camera, or we go to the movies and we get lost in another world. At the end of the day, people are drawn to human stories. And that's what, I mean, everyone's going to realize that at some point, whether they want to accept it now or later, you know, that's where I'm just like, let's accept it now so we can all move on. Um, versus like, let's try to put out some AI TV shows that nobody's going to watch. 
Yeah, because the AIs aren't the ones buying it and watching it. <laughs> when the AIs start be, being the consumer, then they might like an AI story. But until then, it's a human yeah. thing. Uh, Nick, did you see, speaking of tech, did you hear about the the thing, Nick, with the $900,000 AI job that, that Netflix put out there? This became a story. Yeah, story. yeah, yeah. I, I saw that. But my thing with this, with the streaming and stuff and tech, at least my perspective on it, is that they're confusing or they're beginning to blend or blur the lines between filmmaking and content. And mm. the reason I say that is because speak on that. It, yeah. In filmmaking space, like there's an, we have always had an expectation almost of greatness in filmmaking that it's, it's separate and distinct. It is something that a unique few can really pull off. Whereas in content space, and this is tech space, this is that social media, Instagram, TikTok, whatever, anybody and everybody can make it. And the idea is that we want to flood you with it, right? That's the Netflix mm. stuff. And that's what the, even Amazon Prime Video, let's just flood you with content. That's and so that is a yeah. machine, right? That's what streaming, yeah, that's what tech does. It streams this content to you. Mm. And I think to me, it's going to take, you know, the industry, honestly, you know, back to kind of what Francis was almost alluding to, or I, what I pull out of it is like, stop, let's divorce this. Let's divorce yes, the exactly. tech from the filmmaking and and yes. yeah let's get the filmmaking back into the theater or back into a dvd or back into a blu-ray right where mm -hmm. i experience Cable. it as a unique thing right that is exactly that is separate from the constant stream of foolishness now chris is it okay this if is, I called, jump this is in? called the coup you call yeah, this the coup I, I, is I, that I do right call it the, i do call it the coup but can i jump in right quick with a culture check is that okay because i'm if i can i'm gonna drop mm -hmm. it i'm gonna drop the yeah. words real quick oh my god you ready here we go an early culture I gotta, check. I gotta do it culture check okay <laughs> this is a, <laughs> this is the culture check all right so this is why it came up all right francis check it so we do this culture check thing, right? Where it's just like, there's some foolishness going on in the world of film and we just got to call it out, right? And this is more about the world of content that dovetails itself into film. So here's the deal. Mm. I was on Instagram the other day and what popped up, but on, I think it was Business, business Insider, it said, breaking news. I was like, oh crap, breaking news, I must watch, right? <laughs> so I look at this thing and what does it say? It says, a conservative watchdog group has revealed that Joe Biden's dog has bitten so many people that they've sent it away. Oh, my God. You, you see this pause, right? I'm over here like, what are you eat? What? This is breaking news on Business Insider. Like, this is so important. And they have a conservative watchdog group reporting on this. This is content foolishness. They are trying to fill yeah. the gap in my day, right, with mm -hmm. content. And I think that's the thing. That's what Netflix is doing is it's just it is a cancer potentially on the filmmaking industry. And what I'm hopeful is, is that through the strike, the folks who are striking start to realize that like Netflix and these streamers don't have to be your masters, Right. right. If you were to say we're going to open up, we're going to put our stuff in theaters. Right. If we're going to go Blu-ray, we're going to go DVD. Then I think that the filmmakers, they now take their independence back. Right. And yes. that's what independent filmmaking is all about. Right. It's not I mean, about what... lesser than. Right. You don't have to yeah. be independent and be less. You just have to be independent of those masters. But go ahead. 
No, that's so good. I mean, A24, I don't know if you guys have been reading about them, but they're funding their own projects now. They've signed their own deals to Greenlight for indie films that they will pay the writers and the actors what they requested and outside of distributors. So it's kind of like Hollywood taking back their studios and kind of bringing back the world of like, if we're going to do it, we will invest and we will pay what we need to pay and curate what we're going to curate. So I'm curious to see if there are any other independent studios that will take shape um, to follow their lead. I love it. I love it. Yeah. That's beautiful. There's a lot of them out there. I think neon could do that. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, the whole key is, is you, it, it needs to be a production house that hits more, you know, base hits than they strike out uh, to mm. use that analogy. Uh, cause, cause the only thing that keeps anybody from doing it is their access to uh, uh, banks, their, their access to, to basically an account that allows them to pull debt and leverage debt whenever they need it so they can fund a film. And this is sort of what studios have. They have an endless credit account that allows them to pull money to make the films, to pay the payrolls, to do all the, to, to make the machine right. go. And of course there are individual investors. There are equity investors in these films when they need extra dollars or, or don't want to take on that much bank risk mm-hmm. or, or debt leverage risk, but it's, um, it's there, it's available because they, that are, you know, the film industry, the studio film industry has proven that they can make people rich and they can be profitable and they can pay those bank loans back. And so A24 is going to have to do that. Um, and the question for them is, you know, can they operate some type of Blumhouse model where the movie itself doesn't have to be a mega breakout hit to be to be profitable just needs to, to be a hit, you know, I think they can. Yeah, me too. Some of A24's better titles in, in my opinion, you know, weren't big box office movies and mm. might've just barely broke even or didn't. But if you're independent, you, you can't afford to do that too long. So the mm. cycle starts to sort of repeat itself. And, and by the way, speaking of business insider, Nick, that's, we need to divorce ourselves from that too. <laughs> the, the problem is, is that we as a society continue to basically choose speed over quality. We mm. choose quantity over quality every single time. Yeah. You know, maybe that's because all these industries are run by men where, you know, we want notches. We want notches on our belt. We want notches on our, on our, in our bedposts instead of like, let's get this quality human being. <laughs> let's yeah, get this yeah. quali- like I, I, most people know I have a journalism degree. I went to school for that. And you know, it was sad. The journalism I learned in school just doesn't really exist anymore because uh, there is no incentive for being right. All the incentive is on being first. And, you know, I think Charlie Munger said something like this in the past, like show me or maybe Warren Buffett, um, show me the incentive and, and, you know, I'll tell you the action or I'll, you know, I'll tell you it like about the person, like, just like it's, it's, um, I don't have the quote, right. Maybe producer at least will get it right, but it's something along those lines. But the, the idea is incentives matter. And so for this kind of model to work for the coup to work, Nick, like, we have to change the incentives a little bit too. 
Otherwise, you just end up with a, another studio system down the line. Yeah, but I got a basic question for Francis here, which is, you know, in this this model, whether it's a coup, because, you know, you're calling it that. I've called it that before, where it's just like, forget them. Let's go do something else, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But the, the question that I have really is, for folks like Francis and many other artists who have said, really, it's about the art first, how many of the most popular and celebrity artists are willing to say, Netflix, I don't want your money, right? And I will go mm. get that money elsewhere because it's it may not difficult. be as much, right? But I know that it's the in the best interest of other people who are in my profession and for the industry that I want to see. So basically, that's the question. How many people you you think are willing to turn down that Netflix money for a new model? I mean... That's a great conversation for everyone in this industry. I The biggest dollar I've ever made was through either Netflix or Disney or Marvel. I mean, they pay the big bucks, not there, I mean, all the way around. They can yep. be cheap overall, right? They're making, they're cutting out deals all over the place um, in terms of other areas like residuals and streaming. But um, in terms of just our rates, like, let's be honest, they do have the most money and pay the, the best rates. You know, it's interesting, though, because I was thinking about the, the everyone getting paid what they're worth. And there's always been this structural hierarchy in Hollywood that has glamorized money and making money. And right now, before, it was like Hollywood actors, Hollywood directors. And that's why people wanted to come watch it. They wanted to come see the stars, right? But I feel like what's being covered up by that are these CEOs. They have the money. They are the stars. They're making the headlines right now, not, you know, the actors. And I think that's an interesting time to watch. You know, are we getting too distracted by, I mean, I think the power needs to come back to the creatives and the artists. Like I know that people are thinking, oh, well, the actors make so much money. Why are they complaining anyway? And it's like, well, they a, do work the hardest, but also like they need, they, there's, it's a system that has to be fulfilled this way. If they're not making money, I'm not making money. And so for me, it's like all the way around, we should be respected, whether that's from Disney or from an indie place. But I say all this and I'm thinking about earlier when I was like, oh, I don't do this for the money. But also it's like, yeah, I, we need to make a living, right? There's only so much we can do if we're not making any money. So yep. um, at the same time, it's like we, we, we just want to make good stuff. The, the cool thing is, is I think there's a world that we can do this outside of the tech industry for sure and still make good money because there is a, still a market to be made and had with it. So hmm. I think it's possible. And I think that the shift can happen, but there's obviously to be expected growing pains and things that we'll need to continue to figure out. I just hope we get it right this time. Yeah. Agreed. I hope we get it right as well. It just, it, we know it's possible because of Barbie Heimer over the weekend. You know, these are people who flooded the theater and, and, and came to just basically watch two films. And it's not like they're the only two films that are good in the theater. Like Mission Impossible is there. Indiana Jones is there. Um, Talk to me is there. there. There's a bunch of good movies to watch. It's just that these two really brought that foot traffic that theaters need to, to survive. So I, I think there is a great desire to see yeah. incredible stories outside of, of tech. But, but, you know, another thing though, I, I just, I never give any credence to uh, sort of this 
this hypocrisy, this, this foolishness that we have out there where people sort of bemoan someone who makes a lot of money. And like you said, Francis makes a living doing something they love. And then, you know, at the same time knows deep down in their heart, they want to be rich. The, 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 it goes again, like to what I said earlier about quantity versus quality. Everybody, everybody's mother or father has told them at some point money won't make you happy. But we ignore that until we get the money for sure. Like we don't care, <laughs> mom. We don't care, grandma, that the that the money won't. It didn't make you happy. It's going to make me happy because I'm eating mustard sandwiches right now. I need money. And everybody wants to. I haven't. So I just I just laugh at it and I don't give it any credence. I've got no time for somebody that says, oh, I don't care to be rich. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You want you want to be rich. You might want to be rich in a way that doesn't resemble the way other people are rich out in the public space, but you want that money. And I just think it's stupid. And, that, and like we were talking about the tech job that became a headline at Netflix, the AI tech job. Well, the headline and the big story there wasn't that it seemed like it was only 50% about the fact that it was an AI job. The other 50% was that the person was going to make $900,000 a year. Mm. And just we we live in a society where people are just straight haters, man. Like, who cares how much money? But then you find out it's about the money. Like, people don't like. There are people online, Francis, like like you were saying, that think actors make too much money. What are you complaining about? Or people think writers do. What are you complaining about? You guys make a yeah. ton of money. All you do is it's like, bro, you're a hater. You are you are a hate tour. Oh, and they're stop un- acting like you don't want your own money. Uninformed, like you want man. money too. And by the way, that yeah. that thank you, producer Elise. I did see that the quote is "Show me the incentive, and I will show you the outcome." And so I basically was saying that if the incentive um, is is what it is now, then you'll just end up with the same outcome, just a, a different system. Um, so we just have to, like you said, do it a different way, do it better this time where the incentives might change. So you don't end up with the, with the same outcome, but, but I just, I just find it funny, man. Like it's, um, there's a whole thing going on in culture now where we're mad at people that have money, man. We're just mad at people that have money and we have to stop doing that. I think it goes both ways though. Yeah. It's just like, I, I feel like we lose, we get distracted, right? That's such a distracted statement because it's like, what, that's not really going anywhere. Like. You know, haters are going to don't hate the player, hate the game. As I always got told as a ball player, like <laughs> you hating on an individual is not going to change your game. Why don't we stay in our lane and try to figure out how we can be better as players, as people, as athletes, as creators. Um, and at the end of the day, that's what I, I'm just trying to stay focused on. And I hope that everyone else can do that as well. And the money will always come. Like, that's the thing. It's just, I mean, and that's what we're trying to do, right? Is get ahead of that and just be like, we need, we need to make sure we're going to get taken care of. So I think it's an important conversation that's happening. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And I think Nikki, focusing on say. the creative. Yeah. Well, I was going to say focus on, on the creative is a good segue to just something that I wanted to hear from Francis, which is, you know, we've had a lot of guests on here. I mean, Francis has been one of them. And I'm sure we've had some of this conversation before, but we've had a lot of directors, producers, you know, some writers. But I'd love to give you know our audience just a quick opportunity to learn what you do. You know, like from an art director standpoint, you know, just sharing that with us. And like, what does that look like on a, you know, on a day-to-day basis? 
Yeah. So in my job, in my line of work, we are um, a division of a film group that will create sets and take a script from its initial stage, read through it, and then bring it to life visually. So everything you see in front of the camera um, starts to be thought out by the production designer and their team. Um, specifically the designer works directly with uh, a director and writer to bring the script to life, uh, whether that's through built sets and construction, or if that's locations, finding the right locations, wherever you are in the world. Um, and then from there, visualizing it and making it happen. Um, their team under the production designer includes an art director, which I've also done. They're the executioner. They kind of execute the idea through and manage the team um, that's going to make this happen. So construction department, you've got set deck and props that are kind of in this world as well. You've got painters and sculptors and concept illustrators and set designers and graphic designers like it's it really is a team that makes this happen um from every little detail of a set so uh it's really fun i like to do both the art direction which is kind of the execution it's very detailed oriented it's very um specific to getting a job done but i also love and want to move into production design which is the free allowing yourself to freeze you up to be completely creative with the director and understanding like what a sto- where the story is taking place in any given scene or set what does that set need to to do to provide the best case scenario for not just the actors but the cinematographer the director kind of taking all the notes into play um and so yeah that's what i do um i kind of dip around in, in both and work everywhere from big features to commercials to television television shows um it's all free game to me i just i just love it so and i love that every show is completely different that's awesome yeah and i was gonna ask about so every show is completely different but what about within one movie so one of the things that i don't know if the general public appreciates as much as we might is the credits just looking through how sizable that role is. I mean, come on, there's so <laughs> many names on it. I start to wonder, yeah. like from the production design and art direction space, can you have multiple teams of production designers and art directors, depending on maybe the location? You know, maybe if you're shooting in different countries, maybe mm-hmm. you have different production designers for each country. Do you have them based on different locations? I'm just going to get an idea, like, is it just one production designer for an Avengers movie yeah. or like, how does that work? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, rarely when you have two production designers, it's always one, right? Like I think, and that's to the purpose of in the initial creative phase, you it's really like a director, a writer, a production designer, and a DP, you know, huddling together to figure out what this movie is going to be. Um, even when, and especially when you start to put that into production, whether you're across multiple countries or whatever, you still need to have that through vision. Um, and so one one uh, designer is always on point with any show, but you will have multiple art directors. So on Spider-Man, we had four or five art directors um, that split and divided and conquered a movie. Um, art directing on the big shows like that are really fun because you get a portion of the movie that is that is yours. I mean, you get so many a handful of sets that you're really getting to dive in and curate on um versus having to like do that with the whole movie 
Um, on indies, you don't get that. You get to do everything, which can be a lot for one person to kind of look at a whole movie and all the sets, um, but you just don't have the budget to bring on multiple art directors. You know, we get assistant art directors, you get a set designers, hopefully, and graphic designers, and you get a team to help you build this. But managing it all, like especially when you're across countries, you need multiple art directors for sure. Um, you want to be able to just rely on oh, those wow. people to get the job done. Yeah. And then there is a supervising art director. Usually when you're on in that big of a show and their job is the budget, how do we keep our whole team now in line? So you have a production designer, a supervising art director, and then art directors underneath that person. And the line, it's a very fluid uh, kind of organizational chart, but it works really well um, when you have a really good team. Did you get Peter Parker's bedroom? <laughs> mm. Peter Parker's bedroom in this new movie. I, I actually had, I don't even know if I could, I think I could say this, but I had a set. So in the original edit of the movie at the very end of no way home, he forgets or everyone forgets who he is. And there was a scene where he uh, wakes up in an apartment and I did get to start designing that, that room and that space, but the, the set was cut before we could even film it. So that was the closest, but oh, I did uh, the it. donut shop, which was really fun. I'd... That's dope. Yeah, that is cool. You mentioned all the names on uh, that show up on the credits. You know, there is a little bit of uh, uh, an, an open secret about that, which is that oh. all those names, some, some of those names are, how can I say this and make it accurate? <laughs> they did work on the movie, but not to the degree you might think when you see someone's name in the credits, you put all those names in the credits because essentially film incentives from state to state and country to country are jobs programs. So the, so the more jobs you see uh, in the credits, the better it looks for the politician to say, see, look how much we did with this program. And they can point to it. It's like a nod to the politician. It's a nod a little bit to the taxpayer that helped fund it. Like if taxpayer dollars went away, films would like cease to exist in the way we know them today. Like I think the general public doesn't know that 33% of the funding of a, of a film probably came from a, a state or a government mm. or, or a country in their film incentive. So even to the point where if you do hang on and don't leave the theater or don't leave your couch, you wait till the very end of the credits, you'll see sometimes I'll just put it there. This movie mm -hmm. created X amount of jobs for the country of. Yeah. And yeah. so you see all those names and you're like, wow, so many people worked on this. And it's like, no, they, they hired a freaking house and they put every employee they had in the credits. Yeah, it's some, something like that. Yeah, a little bit. I think it's like if you do touch the film in any way, uh, you're, you're in the credit. But so many of these uh, vendors, I guess you could call it, um, wherever they are in the world, you know, they're, yep. they hire out these jobs that then produce all this work. But a lot of them aren't local to the area. I mean, L.A. is one of the biggest areas that have their visual effects vendors that we use. Um and when you go to a location, though, it's, it still does create a lot of jobs and incentives for places locally, which is a cool thing. 
for for a lot of different areas. Um, I worked at it. We did No Way Home in Atlanta, and as we all know, there's a big film scene in Atlanta. But what's very interesting about this right now is a lot of shows are going to Europe, um, and I'm curious to see as to how with with everything that's going on right now in the industry, how that's going to affect Hollywood as just a location for filming, as well as Atlanta or New York versus go outsourcing to overseas because it's cheaper. So I heard that, that shows like the, the Witcher and like other shows that are filmed in England, the, they're filming over there because they can usurp union rules over here. Yeah. So they can yeah. hire. It's crazy. They don't have to like, so it's all about being able to just keep going. And this is just another one of those sort of Netflix driven things. I think Netflix is yeah. sort of, the leader in this. I could be wrong. I, you know, I probably have to research it and find out that probably everyone's doing it. Wes Anderson's new film, Asteroid City, the was Asteroid filmed City? in Spain. Yeah, it's filmed in Spain. I mean, that's where I think he lives, but with a small crew, indie style, probably avoided a lot of union situations. I'm not, I, can't, I don't want to speak on that. You could probably edit that out, but yeah, I mean, essentially they took things overseas, got a, <laughs> their crew into like a hotel and, and made this film. But, um, and that's what's happening a lot is I feel like the most um, like Barbie Barbie was filmed in, in not here <laughs> and it's the most American film. So that's, yeah. I, I, it's very interesting. Let's just say that. I'm like, I'm curious to see. Yeah. You're going to get a tax incentive. You're going to get tax incentive. You're going to get tax loopholes and you're going to be able to keep the train rolling regardless of what the unions are doing. Cause they have separate contracts over there. They have separate yeah. rules too. We've had a few people that, that did, that worked in England exclusively and then moved back to the States who have like, like I think uh, Josh Bishop was one of those guys, Nick, that came on the podcast and said, okay, here's the difference between working in England and working in the U S and here's what you need to keep in mind. And here's what you need to do. So he was, he was saying, if I remember it right, because it was so long ago that there are advantages to each. And, and one of the disadvantages to England is that, you know, you lose a sense of control of your content and your financing if you're not a big studio. But if you are a big studio, I don't think you have to deal with the BBC and you have to deal with all that stuff. So I, uh, I could be wrong about that. But I think it's just there are obviously going to be advantages that have to do with financing and have to do with, you know, keeping the show going. I mean, it just comes down to no one's going to stop anybody from doing what they want to do. Like, Okay, you guys don't want to do it. Like, I think Jason Calacanis tweeted something the other day that was like, we have 20 times more VCs than we need. We have 10 times more writers than we need. We have five times more actors than we need. I might have those numbers wrong. I have to pull up that tweet, but it's kind of true. It's like his point he was making is that we need nurses. We need ditch diggers. We need people who do this these basic jobs that keeps society actually running and they need to be paid more, but it's like, not everybody can be an actor. Like if you talk to anybody who's between age 15 and 20, they'll tell you they either want to be a YouTube in, uh, uh, star, like have a YouTube channel as their profession, or they want to be an actor for the most part. Like we have sold, we have done such a good job in America of selling fame that you there comes a point where you feel like your self-esteem is found on the other side of fame. Hmm. 
And I know I've, I, I, that's a deep that's one a right shame. there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I, but it feels true. It feels like there's this crisis of loneliness. And I was talking about that with the team today. Like there's a crisis of loneliness that turns into a crisis of self-esteem that then turns into a crisis of division and it all happens online. And then it permeates and sort of spills out into society, into, you know, bullshit headlines from business insider, you know, into, um, you know, bullshit, uh, things happening during strikes. Yeah. I mean, with actors specifically, you know, we are selling this idea that you should be an actor, but in the strike, something that I'm seeing that's that these platforms are pushing out are actually not, it's documentary based uh, sports documentaries. So I don't know if you guys seen, but sports documentaries right yep. now are popping up and I'm like, well, I'm, I'm here for it. Like being an athlete, uh, I grew up watching all of these athletes and they made me want to be an athlete. I didn't want to grow up being an actor. I wanted to be Michael Jordan. So now I'm curious to see like if we're going to transition into more like sports documentary based content while, or sorry, I hate using the word content. I love that we can separate it now, but it is like, what are we going to be shown? Um, <laughs> like, don't get Nick, don't get Nick on you. <laughs> Nick, that was good though. I really, I really liked it. Um, yeah. But essentially that's what it is. It's content to just fill our day until we can figure this out. But, um, but yeah, I hope that, you know, whatever we put out, we continue to inspire people in any kind of way. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what I want. I want to make you feel something. I don't know if you guys have seen the new Barbie movie, but I had mixed reviews, like very mixed reviews. Have you seen it? Yes. Okay. I've seen yeah. it. Nick, have you seen it? I have not. My family's out watching it right now. Oh, wow. Ah, um, look at you me. sacrificing. Look at you picking. <laughs> wow. look, at, look at you picking quality over quantity. Look at that. I love it. Hey, that's right. So we would love to hear what you think about the art direction in Barbie. I, I thought Ryan oh, Gosling man. stole the movie. I thought he has scenes yeah. that will be remembered forever. I, I hope so. You know, it was really fun. Yeah, this, the, all the questions. Um, set design, impeccable. I loved, I've heard Greta Gerwig's vision on it from the get-go, which is the practicality of filming Barbie, but in in human way, like we're just drinking a glass and nothing's coming out and everything is, the pool is not actually a pool because it's just the ground. Like we have to uh, extend our imaginations when we play with things in general. (laughs) And so to do that, but in real life, like as a set was incredible. I mean, very tastefully done. I absolutely loved it. And yes, I would agree that uh, it was really Fun to see Ryan Gosling perform that role. I think that he might have stole it as well, but I didn't love that he stole the show. I kind of wish that Barbie had a better ending um, for herself, Um, but I also respect Mm. the ending and where she ended up. So I have mixed feelings just about the character development in general. And it's really fun separately that we get to see a movie like Zoolander, right? Like I realized I haven't seen many movies with a comedic lead, like Ben Stiller is incredible at this. He can take a character and you can laugh at him just for like, for what he's doing. And it's, you forget that he's Ben Stiller. Um, I'm not entirely convinced that I forgot that it was Ryan Gosling. If that makes sense. Like, I'm still like, Oh, this is Ryan Gosling. And he's just being goofy. Um, I'm like, Oh, but, but at the yeah. same time, I couldn't think of anyone else to play that role. And that's a very interesting comedy, you know, Ken visual expectation that we have on society. 
um, my partner and I thought about it for a while. We're like, really, there isn't another character who could have played that role. Like I genuinely couldn't think of anyone who can meet both standards. And I think that's a really hard thing to do, but, but I think he did, he did well. He did. It wasn't his fault that he stole the shows. The script was made for yeah. him. I just uh, wish it was made for Barbie more. Yeah, he, <laughs> he's remarkable in it. And, and I'm with you. I can't think of anybody else that would have been better for it. And what you yeah. said about extending your imagination, that's why I think Nick yeah. is going to love it. I think yeah. Nick is going to love it because he lives in the world of extending his imagination. And it's one of the things that he imparts on his children all the time and, oh, and tries that. to sort of lead by example of in his own household is like, how, how can we turn this pile of Legos into something interesting or how can mm. we turn this into something interesting? It's one of, it's one of the things you can watch him do that I, that not to, not to, you know, I love that. butter your ass, but it's just like, <laughs> I, I, I do, I do love that you do that. And I, and I think that um, that's why you're going to love it, bro. When you go see it. Yeah, yeah, well, I appreciate yeah. that. And I will say this. I got to just give kudos to Francis for mentioning Zoolander because that's one of my favorite movies of all time. And when you talk about Ben nice. Stiller Merman. and crew, yeah, yeah, Merman. Um, <laughs> the other, if you can see this film right behind me, right mm. there that I'm pointing to, that Tropic right there is Thunder? Tropic Thunder. Oh, and yeah. that is another yeah. one of those films. If you yes. haven't seen Tropic yes. Thunder, you got to handle up and just laugh and let go. And you're right. You don't see a lot of those films anymore. Right. Even Dodgeball, you know, where you get to mm -hmm. just laugh, man, just for the yes, sake Anchorman. of laughing, just ridiculousness, yeah. you know. Yep. Yeah. There, there you go. So it's just I, I love that that throwback. Yeah. And yeah. And Chris is right. Like, I love the fact that we can like be in a place where we can extend our imaginations and even imagine, you know, those fairy tale things in our real life. I mean, you know, I'm deep in, but, but, but I don't but know Nick, in Barbie world right now, you know, cause of my daughter, I'll, she I'll, loves Barbie stuff. Nick, it's Nick, it's a requirement, not, not to cut you off. Just once what Francis is saying, what I'm saying is yes, with Zoolander and Tropic Thunder, you do that. But with this, it's a requirement because the physical environment you're in is basically fake while humans are walking around in it. Yeah. Well, mm. trust me, dude, so, like, yeah. listen, listen, so it has to, I it has live... to break down the rules of the world to you yeah. as you're watching it. Yeah. And that's I mean? awesome like, because it's a movie it and it's real people. But I'm telling you, I live that. Exactly. I live yeah. that because my daughter has these Barbies and it's like, mm -hmm. you got the little, the pool that's got no water in it. My daughter doesn't play that. She's, She's like, you gotta pull, we got to put yeah. water in there. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, really? I was going to say, like, there's water. There's water there, even though there's no water, right? Like, that's what was really important about it is that that extending the imagination. But the other thing that I love about these compared to Tropic Thunder or Anchorman is that it's culturally appropriate, right? Like, those movies have always been told by men. And this is finally a movie where we can laugh and it's told by a woman. And we still poke fun. We still have a good time. But there's nothing culturally sensitive. Whereas some of those, you know, jokes and things just don't age well. Um, when you rewatch them, you know, it's like, so I, I hope that this movie does stand the test of time. Yeah. yeah. I don't get it. I still laugh. I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I watched Van Wilder recently and I don't know if I, I think it stands up maybe, but, but there's a chance that it might not like there's a scene in Van Wilder. If anybody hasn't seen it, doesn't know what it is. The, 
the most amazing thing about Van Wilder is that this was a movie that produced basically Ryan Reynolds, Cal Penn, and um, Aaron Paul. They were all in the movie before we knew who they were. And the star of the movie actually was Tara Reid. Like they were banking on Tara Reid selling this movie. And now I don't know what Tara Reid's even doing. But in the movie, there's a scene where they fill some eclairs mm-hmm. with dog ejaculate. <laughs> <laughs> and then they deliver these eclairs to, to the frat house of the dude they're pranking. And then as they're munching on these, one of the guys in the background says, I think I've had these before. You're right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I just think, and I thought to myself, that's funny to me, <laughs> but is that something that works today? Yeah. I don't know. Who, who knows? It's like, it's just the cultural sensitivities. You know, I think that's it. No. And, and, but, but here's the thing, you know, it's like, and so Francis, so you're in LA, right? Yes. So my question is this, these sensitivities that we might see because we're either in the film industry or some people are film industry adjacent, they might become more sensitive over time. But if you were to travel outside of LA, are people still as sensitive? You know, is it real? Is it that this cultural shift has really happened or is it really just happening within a small microcosm, right? If you went to Montana, right? Or if you went to South Dakota, or if you went to certain parts of Georgia or North Carolina or West Virginia, are they as sensitive as we're mentioning here? I don't, I don't think so. I don't know. I think about that a lot because growing up, I would watch these shows and justify it. I'd be like, that's okay. Like, I don't know any better because maybe that's a lack of education, but you know, coming out here and being exposed to different things, it's like, oh, I, I can stand up for myself or I do deserve more or I can have a voice. Like, these are things that I've just been mm-hmm. exposed to. So I do think it is a regional thing. Um, however, I, I think there are greater conversations that are happening across the U.S. And what I love about Barbie is that this movie is going to get laughed at no matter where you are in the country. Whereas, like, so it's like, it's completely new. Yeah. Like, it's it's just good good, honest comedy, whereas there are some jokes, and I'm not trying to generalize some of these other films, but there are jokes that kind of are inappropriate, and so there are going to offend one person or the other, but Barbie, not to say that none of Barbie isn't offensive, but it's just to say that I think it's being told from a just different perspective that is unique to where we are in making films in this day and age, and I think it's, I think it's a really cool thing that um, we can put out there. So that's a tough question, because yeah. like... I'd like to think so, but that I'm not living in like a bubble because being from the South too, like I go home and, you know, it's like, am I, am I in uh, the Wizard of Oz or something? It's like, what land am I in? Where am I going? Yeah. I just want to still be able to, I just still want to be able to play the dozen sometimes, you know, and not yeah. have somebody, you know, call the culture police. You know, I want to be like, man, mm. your mama's so short. She can do backflips under the bed. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> your mama's so like small, she can be pushed up under the door. You know there. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh-huh. there you go. Like, I want to be able to mm-hmm. have that fun, but you know, but not and not have somebody be like, "Well, now you're, you know, you're dogging on, you know, little people." Like, what well, that? Well, that yeah. wasn't Absolutely. the nature of it, right? That's not what I'm talking about. Like, 
yeah, so that's that's where this balance I feel like is starting not to exist in some places where it's like yeah, you can't even do it. Yeah, House Party is like that. I think House Party did a good job of being, you know, when you watch any black comedy from the 80s, you were getting you're getting your mama jokes. You're getting like in there, in the nitty-gritty cuz that's that's what's really funny. Those are the crimes that hit. And when I read the new script for House Party, you know, some of it just didn't hit as hard. It was funny, but it just doesn't hit as hard. And I think that is a reflection yeah. of where we are like as a studio, like we can't make those same jokes in the same way, you know? And I think that it's not to say that any joke is funnier than the other. It's just being, being more aware. And I don't think there's a, I think that's a good thing. And I think that there is room for that change for sure. That shift, mind you. Yeah. It it always feels like it's more about the nature of is the joke designed to put someone down or put some group down right. or is it designed to make someone aware of something funny that a group does? If it's the second one, then it's always going to be funny. Yes. Um, Cause it's like, here, let me show you this observation of what this person or what this group does. And I think where, where some people are now with it, it's like, yeah, let's not put one individual person down for the sake of putting them down anymore, mm. which that used to be funny. That, that used to be yes. funny. And um, yeah. that's just that's that's just called sort of like being amenable to the times and being able to shift uh, and, and, and move. Normally, we would have brought in Papa Bear by now for things we should know. I want to call an audible, bring him in for things we should know. But I think we should just answer it right here on the spot. Yep, I agree. So Papa Bear, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and tell us, uh, make fools of us, please, again, as you do on a weekly basis, and tell us a thing we should know. Well, you know, you, you we have uh, Frances on as a guest. She's Yay. an art director. Yeah, she's an art director. So we have an opportunity to make a fool of Frances. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck, boys. I'm fighting words. Let's go. Let's go. Here you go. The Art Directors Guild was originally named the Society of Motion Picture Art Directors. It was founded in 1937. It included only men until what year? And part two of that is who was the first woman inducted into the Art Directors Guild? Mama Cass. Yeah, come uh, on. So wait, wait, wait. So when was it established again? Tell us when it was established again. 1937. And there were only men until what year? The problem with that okay, is women so, got the right to vote in 1920, yeah. I think. So but nah, I'm like gonna say yeah, 37. I'm trying to think what late. came out in the eighties. No, leave it to like, Francis, man. Movies? Let it let her do it. Oh God, y'all! I don't know. I should know this. Um, I'm gonna say night. Uh, I don't know. Are you, the name. Go- are you right, googling, Francis? My hands are up. Just no. <laughs> um, put the hands up. <laughs> nineteen. Nineteen. Sixty-eight. And I don't know the name. I could not tell you who the first person was. 
Nick, are we guessing here? No. Are you guys going to give no, a shot this is, all, this is all Francis, I'm, man. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give a shot. Okay. All right, go for it. They started in 37 as a boys club. They probably weren't letting women in for quite some time. I like the range. I like where I like where Francis is, like in that 60s area where it's like, we got to start letting women in. But the question is, it's the hint is in the job. So mm -hmm. in the 60s on Madison Avenue, to be an artist in a, on a Madison Avenue shop, you almost were exclusively a man. And that didn't change until probably closer to the 80s Ooh, when they actually when they started bringing in human resources because companies didn't have hrs until close to the 80s for better or worse right uh so uh <laughs> that's a human resources joke uh the <laughs> i'm so i'm gonna guess a little bit later than you might think and i'm gonna guess the year of our lord 1979 <laughs> <laughs> 1979. I'm going 1979. Both of you have hit on either side of it. It's 1972. Mm. 1972. Oh, interesting. First woman. I think I made you nervous, Papa Bear, when I started rationalizing. I was like Vincini with the wine with Wesley in The Princess Bride, where I was rationalizing why I was going to pick the glass in front of you. Yeah, but Papa Bear was like, mm -hmm. he already, he's the one who has been dealing with the eye cane powder and he knew that you were going to get the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. He knew. He's well, just toying with the, yeah, he's, he's feathering my butt. All right. All right. <laughs> Tell me, Francis, have you ever heard of Polly Platt, P L A T T? No. She was the first woman art director inducted into the guild in 1972 i won't forget that that's beautiful yeah i love that poly okay. poly placket that's Plackett? a thing Plackett? you should know yep. yeah <laughs> i knew it i knew it <laughs> see I, when, she, when he said poly plat the first thing that came to my head was poly pocket <laughs> and francis said poly placket poly wants a cracker Right. So, Polly. so is this person still alive, no. Papa Bear? Is Polly Platt still alive? Polly is she Platt? still with us? I don't us? know. I'd have to look that up. Let's find out, producer Elise. Mm. Let's find out if Polly Platt's still alive because we owe her a great debt of gratitude for yeah. uh, being the first and pay, paving the way for us to even have this conversation, paving the way for for the wonderful Francis Definitely. Hernandez right here. Like this is this is huge, hugely important. This yeah. is actually something we should know. That's right. That's right. I like it. We won't forget. Oh, she passed in 2011, according to producer Elise. Okay. Dang. Um, the a little liquor for Polly. From a union standpoint, that mm -hmm. the guild is represented by IATSE. Mm. Yep. Just okay. for your overall for, union representation goes to IATSE. That makes sense. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And uh, thank you, Polly. If you're hearing this somewhere in some other alternate universe uh, where you're hanging out with Maki Dap and some version of him and you're <laughs> listening to this podcast, thank you. We appreciate you for, for being the first. And thank you, Papa Bear, for telling us something we should know. Something we should know. All right. You're welcome. Yeah. Things we should know. The, the, here's the thing. We really do need to know this stuff, Nick, because we don't know anything. 
Yeah, well, that's the great part about it. You know, it's like we always get an education <laughs> in something with these, right? So it's yeah. like, um, yeah, was, was it was it ABC back in the day? I think it was ABC. I'm not sure. But remember that, that like, was it? It wasn't things. Oh, The More You Know. And it had a little rainbow. The More You the Know. More you NBC. Know. NBC. Yeah. There you go. The little rainbow yeah. with the star. Yeah. The More You Know. Mm-hmm. Yep. After schools, we're trying to keep kids off of drugs and, you know, keep them from getting pregnant and all the things. They had all the lessons for you. This is your brain yep. on uh, this is this on is drugs. your brain on drugs and it's like a fried egg and a yep, in a skillet. Right. Yeah, which isn't really anymore. true, by the way. Your brain isn't really frying when you take drugs. I don't think that was accurate. But hey, but it, it was but very it scared, scary. It all scared the enough people, just like Dare, you know. So I think yeah. they used to they did a great job with that. We need to bring those back. That's what we need to see on social. You know, mm. maybe we need to start a campaign of ads that tell you how bad mm. social is for you. Yeah, <laughs> if you're reading this, Look, Tr- dot, Tr- dot, dot. Tristan Harris is try- Tristan Harris is trying it. Like he's trying to like tell you guys, listen, there are people like behind the curtain, tweaking and turning and gearing the site to make it feel like gambling to you, but it's gambling with your self esteem. So I don't know. I just don't think we care, mm-hmm. man. Like we don't care enough. Like it, like the the uh, the dopamine shot we get by using social. Uh, is greater than the feeling of of maybe loss and loneliness and depression that we feel by using it. You just you just can't uh, maybe make the not link. cumulatively, but no, people just can't make the link between the two. That's all. It's easier. Like I always talk when I talk to my kids about social and stuff. It's like sugar. You know, it's like you want mm-hmm. a little bit of sugar and it's great, but you get too much and make you sick. But that's easier to make the correlation between the sugar and getting sick. It's much mm-hmm. more difficult to do that with social. You're getting all the sugar, yeah. but later when you're depressed, you don't, you can't associate it with that because it was so much fun mm. and it was so great to be on social. I saw so many cool things. They don't make the correlation. So, so yeah, it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's too much sugar, man. Way too much sugar. Got to turn it off. Yeah, I think so. And there is a saying that, uh, boring people are bored or bored people are boring. And I think that there's also a crisis of boredom. Like people just don't have a lot of people just aren't interested in or doing enough stuff that they're, you know, that, that, that drives and consumes their time during each day. And so I know people look forward to opening social to, to go to their favorite comedy sites. And and it's hard to say anything's wrong with it. It's just, you know, all things, you know, in moderation. Uh, And where your focus is too. When my children say to me, dad, I'm bored. I tell my kids, I was like, it's basically any, if you say that, basically that's saying that you have no imagination. And I know Mm. for a fact that that's a lie. So basically it's like, we've already talked about lying. We don't do that. Don't lie to me. Okay. So when you come to me Mm. and you say you're bored, that means again, if you're bored, that means you lack imagination and I know for a fact you don't lack imagination, which therefore means you're lying. Anytime you say you're bored means you're lying to me and don't lie to me. So go use your imagination. Go have some fun. You know, and they hate it. They're like, Argh. you know, because like when they go play, they'll figure it out. You know, you can't be bored. Come on. There's too much to do. You know, your brain is working in way too yeah. many ways to be bored ever. I couldn't Dang. agree more. That's spot on. So in one week from now, Francis, you get married. So what has it been like planning this thing? Is this like, are you pulling your hair out? Has it been pure joy? Have you picked your cake flavors? Like what is (laughs) like, 
bring us home with 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 the with the situation. It has been wild. Yeah, it's essentially like I am. So I'm do art direction. My partner is like a producer, and this is our this is our show. This is our film. This is our the biggest movie we'll ever produce. Like it's it's super fun. Um, personally, we had to talk about you know what is a marriage to us, and I think it's very personal. It's very private. Um, to me, a wedding mm. is, is a fun time. Like I am throwing the biggest wedding for all of our family, for all of our friends, not for us, right? Like to me, the wedding, this big bash that we're doing next week is for everybody else. Um, it's like, to me, I've, I've won the game. Um, oh, but cool. we are doing it all, you know, like I am doing the decorations, the flowers. I did all the signage. He's produced the budget and, helping me coordinate. He also direct, directed in, in school. So he has this, all these ideas about the show of it all and the timing. And so it's, it's not, it's not, it's just going to be a normal wedding, but we are at a winery. Um, our whole theme is the dream team. So that's the theme of our wedding. It's about finding your dream nice. team. Uh, and each table is uh, features of one of the greatest sports teams of all time. So our tables are kind of coordinated to that. And, um, and something that we both love sports. And when he proposed to me, it was all about finding your, your dream teammate and playing with somebody you always wanted to play with and creating that dynasty. And so, um, we, we love it. Uh, we live and breathe basketball specifically, but all sports. And, uh, we're excited to bring these bigger themes into our lives, share it with our friends and family and have a grand old time. So, it has been stressful. I'm about to start packing up the car. My family gets in next week, and uh, we're driving up to the winery to get married. So let's go. Which winery is it going to be at? Don't worry. This won't so come it, out before you get married, so no one's going to show up in uh Right. <laughs> get crash. some wedding crashers. Uh, we are at Roblar Winery. It's in Santa Inez, which is about 30 minutes like north of Santa Barbara. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful, man. Uh, that's that's yeah. so exciting. Look, you've been great. This has been a fantastic conversation. I hope that we are part of your dream team, or at least some like extended team, part man. of your dream team. Dream Absolutely. team, Jason. Dream team, <laughs> yeah. we, Jason, man. Yeah, we're dream team. We're dream team. <laughs> <laughs> we're a dream team adjacent. I love yeah. that. And uh, we're in your corner. We're in the front row uh, with popcorn, cheering on everything that you do all the time. And it's just been awesome to see you again, to catch up with you, to have you on and to get your insights on this. Where can people find you on the internet? Speaking of social media, where can people see your work? I know you still have your website up. Can you give everybody that information? Yeah. So my Instagram is at Francis Lenny. Uh, that's my personal, which I'm open. I mean, like you said, everybody knows everything about me. So if I put it out there, I want you to know about it. Um, and then I also have a uh, Francis Lynn Creative is uh, my name when it comes to all things film and related. So you can find me on Instagram with that as well. Uh, my website is FrancisHernandez.com. Um, check it out. I'm soon having a name change, though, so everybody's got to give me a beat to get that settled. But uh, my new name will be Francis Lynn Labar. 
So, uh, and yes, I already got a license plate that says La Baller. Let's go drop the mic. Ooh, <laughs> let's go. Let's go. <laughs> How do you spell La Bar? L-E-B-A-R. L-E-B-A-R. All right. So next time you come on, you'll be Francis Labar and or, or Francis Lynn or Labar. Or is it Lynn or Lenny? It's Lynn, right? Lynn. Lynn, yeah. Yeah, Francis but the, Lynn Labar. The Instagram, I yeah. put a little taste on it. Yeah. Lenny. Yeah, you put the Lenny. So the future Miss Francis Labar, we thank you so much. Uh, for those listening. Thank you. Thank you. You know where you can find us, social media, underscore Bonsai Creative, everywhere. Just go, underscore Bonsai Creative. You'll run into us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, you name it. We have some cool stuff happening in social, so we might have some new handles for you pretty soon. But for now, underscore Bonsai Creative will do it. You can reach out to us in a variety of ways. You can email us at contact at bonsai.film. You can hit Nick up at his email address at Nick. At bonsai.film. That's bonsai with an S, not a Z. Some people still spell it with a Z. It's B-O-N-S-A-I. And Nick will respond to 100% of those. As will I, if you reach out to me on the Twitter, which is no longer called Twitter, by the way. I think it's called X. But uh, we know what we're talking about. We might not call it X. We might just still call it Twitter. You can find me at Flaming Your Heart or just search for Chris Barkley and I will come right up. It's a fun follow as well if you would like to follow me on Twitter and uh, of course our website can't leave that out www.bonsai.film if you want to know more about the podcast more about what we do in the marketing and branding space for independent films we have so much going on there so much planned there and um, as Nick always says uh, we our interest is advocating for the independent filmmaker and so that's truly what we are, are interested in and so we just can't thank you enough for uh, following us, supporting us, and, and making this podcast great each and every week. Uh, so thank you to all the people who follow and listen and watch this podcast. And so with that, Nick, can you please leave us with the credo? Of course, of course, of course. And I want to say again, a uh, big thanks to Francis for joining us for uh, today. It was awesome. The Indie Talk is spiced up that much more because, you know, you've been a part of this with us. It is great talking to you. You know, um, uh, I didn't miss the first conversation because I listened to it and I was deep into it and I was so excited to have you on again. So again, much appreciation you. to you for, for joining us and yeah, my pleasure. And I want to also say for folks out there, we also do a newsletter biweekly. So get on that newsletter. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, Chris. And what's the, what's the link to this? That's www.banzai.film forward slash subscribe. So you can mm -hmm. make that happen. And once you get that, go ahead and share it with your friends as well. Because like Chris said, we're always advocating for the independent film community. So we try to put as much goodness into that newsletter as possible. Uh, so with that, I'll say to our friends, our family, our followers in the filmmaking world out there, be better, be creative, be engaged. And thank you for listening. Talk to you soon, Nick. Yes, sir. We'll do it again, man. All right. Thank you, Francis. Love you. Appreciate you. Thank you, guys. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. For more information about this episode, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to our podcast on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative. 
and the show will pop right up. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative. In addition, you can provide feedback to us via email at contact at bonsai.film. You now have the opportunity to support the production of this podcast. If you love Make It and are a true fan of what we are trying to accomplish in the indie film community, please consider supporting our Patreon page. We spend a combined 35 hours a week producing each episode. We do this with a small team of go-getters that are passionate about film and connecting people with similar interests across the globe. And we have lots of goodies in store for our supporters, including bonus content, exclusive swag, and discounts and freebies to private film events. If that sounds like something you can get behind, donations start at only $5 monthly. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step toward your film's financial success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on services to explore our unrivaled approach to film marketing. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.